Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. Today's text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The word of the Lord. All right, at this point I'm going to have Pastor Billy come up, and we're going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Oh, God, we thank you for another day and a week and a month that you have given us in your grace. God, you don't have to be good to us the way you are, but we are grateful. And I ask, as Billy prepares to dig into just the good news of your gospel, God, the most foundational thing about what you've given us, that you would help these words to not feel rehearsed or old to us. God, that even those of us who have heard these words a thousand times would understand that this is the good news. This is the rescue that our hearts have been waiting for. And that you would just give our hearts that openness and that longing for your grace and help us to understand how desperately in need of this message that we are. And just help Billy to be a faithful steward of that. Help him to give us the words that you give him. Give him strength, give him wisdom, and give all of us just ways to receive and act on these amazing, like, timeless words that you've given us. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Awesome. So I remember not long after Hannah and I moved here, um, we had some friends who came to visit. And so we decided we're going to show them around. We're going to give them the big grand tour. And so we started the day off with a hike in the Linville Gorge, which you haven't done yet. You have to. Specifically, we went up on short off, which is incredible, amazing. We had such an awesome time. I remember staring out over the canyon rim and then turning and seeing the sun shine off the water of Lake James and just being in absolute awe of how beautiful it is. We came home, we rested a bit, and then we went downtown here in Morganton. We went in and out of shops, and I told them as we walked how unique our position is as a town because we're perfectly situated between both Charlotte and Asheville, and so it brings in tourism, but not so much that it feels crushing. We talked about this kind of entrepreneurial spirit that has radiated throughout the town and how artists and creatives and folks with a dream just seem to be 
coalescing in this little town. We sat down to dinner and we were just, again, just talking about all the different places and spaces that we love. And my friend said, man, you can really, really talk about your town. I smiled and I said, yeah, because I love my town. You see, scattered throughout our county, throughout Burke County, are these towns that share their own unique charm. This is the place, friends, that we call home. Whether you reside in Burke County for uh, uh, years and years and years, or you've just moved here, I hope that you can join us in saying, I love my town. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through a sermon series called Just That. I love my town. And we're going to be examining how the gospel of Jesus Christ drives us to love our neighborhoods, to love our towns, as well as the people who make up these places. There's a mystique in the mountains of western North Carolina. There's this sense of calling that comes from them. There's this peace that you behold as you see jaw-dropping vistas, as you hear the folksy songs of the mountain, as you behold the art of the people we're seated right in, in the Catawba Valley. We're nestled up between the foothills of the South Mountains and the, the mountains and trees of Pisgah National Forest. Something about this place, I don't know what it is, but it, it settles in your bones. It's home. It is. I'll never forget the first time we were driving to North Carolina. Hannah and I were talking. We were excited. We were praying about what would it look like for us to move. We really want to come back. I grew up here. It was home. And I played the North Carolina State Toast, which if you don't know it, you're going to learn it, by the Red Clay Ramblers. They put it to music, and it was beautiful. So as we drove into North Carolina for this vision trip, I start playing this song, and Hannah gets all choked up. And as soon as it's done, she looks at me with tears in her eyes, and she's like, I just got really emotional. It was really good. Here's what it says. This is the state toast. Here's to the land of the longleaf pine, the summer land where the sun doth shine, where the weak grow strong and the strong grow great. Here's to down home, the old north state. So raise a glass to a land so fair where friends are true and a cold heart rare that dear old land whatever fate here's to down home the old north state it's really good you should look it up by the red clay ramblers and shed a tear with me as the bluegrass kicks in there's a joy to this place there is and today what i want to do is i want to look at god's word specifically to speak hope to burke county that's the title of this sermon gospel hope for burke county really friends this is a vision sermon Because this is our place. We love it. We do. And what I want to see reverberating through the neighborhoods, right across the courthouse lawn, over the Catawba River, past Lake James, across the mountain, and through every holler known or forgotten is the hope of Jesus Christ. When I graduated high school 15 years ago, wow, I left and I thought, I'm going to live somewhere else forever. I'm never coming home. And every day, I felt the hills and valleys calling to my heart. I tried to shake it, but eventually I trusted the Lord and came back. I'll never forget when the idea of planting a church in Burke County was first raised. I shrugged and thought, no way, not there, not my home. But then as Hannah and I came and we walked the streets, I knew it was time. 
to come home. Because while creativity and the mystique of the mountains permeate the air, the reality is there's very little gospel. We began praying for what it might look like to come to this place, to see the hope of Jesus be made known. And now, years later, here we are, gathered, and what I want to do is renew that vision in your heart. Today we come to perhaps the clearest summary in the entire New Testament of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he's seeking to remind them of what Jesus had accomplished for them. And it starts, friends, with gospel hope. So let's look first at gospel hope. Look back at the passage with me, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul starts with this grand gospel summary. He says, now I would remind you. That's how he starts this off. Today as we talk about gospel hope for Burke County, you, you may be reading this passage and thinking, yeah, we got it. Like, check, we know this. We know the gospel. We understand it. We get this. We've heard this before. But here's the thing, our bad memories, Coram Deo, our gospel amnesia, that's one of our main diseases, that's one of our main issues, is that we know it, but we forget it. We have to be committed to refreshing our memory with the good news of the gospel, because friends, we need it. My friend Raphael, he calls this rehearsing of the gospel, he calls it remind ministry. He says it like this. He says, Remind ministry calls the saints back to our Christian identity and mission amid alluring cultures. This season has made it clear that the church is prone to forget our role. We're surprised by darkness and we get swept up in current news. We forget that we're called to be a city on a hill shining brightly, even among all cultures, we must be good citizens and neighbors adorning our Savior. Quite frankly, we need the gospel. We need the gospel. And the gospel is not simply an idea. It's not a principle or perspective. Friends, it is news. It's news that happened in history, and it's news that revolves around a person. As much as we may love our towns, we emphatically love our Jesus. So let's walk through this news together. The first thing we see in the gospel is this, the incarnation. While our text does not explicitly address the incarnation, it emphatically 
and it implicitly addresses it. Here's the thing. The gospel declares that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. That God didn't just look at human history and decide to wipe it out, but decide to enter into it. It stepped onto the scene in the person of Jesus Christ in order to carry out his plan of redemption. So it starts with the incarnation. The next thing we see is Christ's life. This text doesn't mention, again, the life of Christ, but it's confirmed by the entirety of the Corinthians, right? Paul talks about the life of Christ over and over again. Here's the thing. Jesus was a real historical person, right? Even, Christian, if you, even Christianity's most like, ardent opponents would affirm the historicity of the person of Jesus. Like, no one's compla- like, arguing, or, or is he real? Did he actually? Everyone agrees, yes, he existed. But the gospel claims that Jesus did more than just exist. What's amazing is that Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience to God's will, to God's law. He lived a life meeting the demands that you and I never could. So it goes from incarnation and life to third, death. And this is where our text picks up. The narrative starts in verse 3. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Here's what that means. We believe He really lived, and we believe that He really died. But we don't just believe that He disappeared, but He died for a purpose. Jesus died for our sins. You see, Jesus had no sins. We just said that. He lived a life that was obedient, a life that never did wrong. He had no sins of his own to die for, but the wages of our sin was Jesus's death. He died in order that individual sinners, right, you and I might be reconciled to God. And all of this happened, Paul says, in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus's death was according to God's redemptive plan. It was in line with what had been foretold throughout the Old Testament scriptures. The next thing we see is burial, right? Verse 4 tells us he was buried. Christ's death was no mere illusion. Jesus actually died. His body was treated like any other corpse. The Roman officials sent it away, and his friends put him in a tomb and grieved the loss of his life. But it doesn't end there. It goes next to resurrection. Verse 4 tells us, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That means a human being in history on a particular day was raised from the dead. Jesus took one breath and put death to death. This truth would have been just as unbelievable for a first century mind as it is ours. But it is true. It's what we stake our hope in. See, the hope of the gospel, friends, is what Morganton needs, it's what Drexel needs, it's what Hildebrand needs, it's what Burke County needs, it's what we need, friends. Tim Keller says it this way, the gospel isn't the ABCs of our faith, it's the A to Z. We don't graduate from this. We don't move past this. 
We will spend eternity marveling at the truth of this. The gospel is intended to be a part of our past, our present, and our future. You see, our past, friends, is settled. Jesus entered into history to die for our sins and to raise us to new life. In Christ, we we no longer need to fear death. I could just sit down after that, guys. Think about that. We no longer need to fear death as the punishment for our past sins. You see, resurrection is a reward because of the work of Christ. So what that means is our past, all those things that like keep you up at night, that you feel shame about, those things that just haunt you and follow you, it's settled. It's done. Christ has dealt with it. So our past is settled. But guess what? Our present is secured. We can stand firm. We can hold fast because God is ultimately holding fast to us. The hope of the gospel, friends, is sufficient to meet every single challenge and every single temptation that comes our way. Our ultimate fear is death. How do I know that? Look around. We're constantly trying to find ways to escape it. But friends, Christ has defeated death in the resurrection. So every derivative fear, right, every single other fear is stripped of its power. Our past has been settled. Our present is secure. And our future, friends, is certain. We don't have to strive to create or maintain a future for ourselves because Christ has already done the work. The resurrection is clear evidence of Christ's death-conquering work on our behalf. If we look to Jesus, friends, we see our future. The gospel, the gospel is the central power that our life revolves around. Any other comfort, any other hope will fail. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's that this world is full of broken promises and false hopes. But we have something. We have something to which we can hold fast that sees us through life's most uncertain times. And it's the gospel, friends. It's the gospel. It is our hope. It is our deepest hope to see the spaces and places of Burke County. We want to show them this amazing hope of the gospel. So that's where it starts, with hope. But that hope, friends, moves to renewal. Look at verse 9. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul goes from giving this unbelievably, amazingly rich detail of what the gospel is, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. He goes from that to talking about how he has personally experienced this renewal in the gospel. 
You see, the gospel is something that Paul has experienced. The gospel, friends, again, it's more than an idea. It's more than an institutional religion. It's not even a way of looking at the world. It's historical news with ultimate personal impact. It is hope that births renewal. Paul looks to his own story. He was a mess. Paul was a persecutor of the church. I mean, some of us have had some pretty bad days, but we haven't slaughtered Christians, I would say. He sought to end the reach of the gospel, to stop it. Yet, by God's grace, he was saved. Do you see how many times he just said grace? Over and over. He can't comprehend it. How could God show him mercy? All Paul deserved is death. Those who know Jesus have a story. And that story, friends, is shaped by the grace of God, by the gospel. Tragically, though, as much as I love my home, as much as I love Burke County, what has infiltrated many of our own hearts and minds is what is called quaint moralism or therapeutic moralistic deism, or I'll just say it this way, do-goodism. Try harder, do your best, then God will be happy with you. The amazing Southern author Flannery O'Connor said it best when she said the South is hardly Christ-centered, though it is most certainly Christ-haunted. Pastor Tyler Jones says it this way. He says, Our churches are full of good-looking, upright, moral people. The tragic irony is that our goodness is our poison. A great many Southerners claim Christianity as their religion, mimicking righteousness on the surface while their hearts remain unchanged by the gospel of Jesus. Quite frankly, it's about how do you look? It's a Southern fried morality about looking the part and acting right. Frankly, this hit me hard my sophomore year of college. I moved across the country in pursuit of ministry. I went to Bible college. I was the good kid in high school. But I had a closet full of secret sin. In reality, I was actually a pompous and arrogant fool that had hurt people. And I tried to escape it by moving across the country. I tried to escape it by giving my life to ministry, by studying the Bible, But tragically, all my doing couldn't pacify my guilt. I felt like Paul, the least of all, a fake, a fraud. I was sitting in classes where people were talking about the gospel of Jesus, and the entire time, I was thinking, I'm headed straight for hell. You see, because unlike Paul, I didn't understand grace. And it was a faithful afternoon When 2 Corinthians 5.21 hit me in the face like a baseball bat, this is what it says. For our sake, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, I was attempting to atone for sins that Jesus had already paid for. The good news of the gospel became just that. Good news. It always felt like bad news to me, but when I realized Jesus had done it. You see, the call of the Christian life was not one of bondage, but one of freedom. The fact that, the the reality that when I stand before God the Father, God doesn't look at Billy Glosson and see, okay, here's all the things you did wrong, here's all the things you did right, let's see where the, the scales tip out. He looks at me and what covers me is the blood of the Lamb. I stand, before, I stand before God, and what covers me is Jesus Christ's very righteousness. It's what Martin Luther calls imputed righteousness, gift righteousness, which means all of your wrongdoing was put on Jesus Christ. If you're angry about how broken the world is, if you're frustrated and you're mad and you say, I demand righteousness, look to Jesus. He took more beatings, more oppression, more weight, more guilt than you could ever pour out. Friends, we need the gospel. I'm sick of do-goodism. I'm sick of quaint moralism. It's a false lie from the pit of hell. And all it does is drown us in sorrow. The gospel is what I needed. It's the gospel that Paul needed. And it's the gospel that Burke County needs. Tim Keller famously contrasted living merely a religious life. Where, where we depend on our performance versus a life that depends on Jesus and his performance, a life that is grace-filled and gospel-motivated. And I want to walk through that with you this morning, and I'll try to do it slowly. Religion says, I obey, therefore, I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore, I obey. Religion is motivation, right? In religion, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. In the gospel, motivation is based on grateful joy. In religion, I obey in order to get things from God. In the gospel, I obey to get God, to delight in and resemble Him. In religion, when the circumstances... In my life go wrong, I'm angry at God or myself since I believe that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. But in the gospel, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, yes, but I know all my punishment fell on Jesus and that while God may allow this for my training, he will ultimately exercise his fatherly love within my trial. In religion, when I am criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it is critical that I think of myself as a good person. Threats to that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. In the gospel, when I'm criticized, I struggle. But it is not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. In religion, my prayer life consists largely of petition, and it only heats up 
when I'm in a time of need, my main purpose in prayer is controlling the control of the environment. In the gospel, my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration because my main purpose is fellowship with God. In religion, my self-view swings between two poles. If and when I'm living up to the standards, to my standards, I feel confident. But then I'm prone to be proud and unsympathetic to failing people. If and when I'm not living up to standards, I feel humble, but not confident. I feel like a failure. In the gospel, my self-view is not based on my moral achievement. In Christ, I am simultaneously sinful and lost, yet accepted in Christ. Yet, except in Christ, I'm so bad. I'm so bad that he had to die for me, and I'm so loved that he was glad to die for me. This leads me to deep humility and confidence at the same time. And finally, in religion, my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral But in the gospel, my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for me. I am saved by sheer grace. So I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different than me. Only by grace am I what I am. This. This is how we can look at our town with deep love. We can look and we can have a sober awareness of the brokenness before us. We can see the mountains and the creativity, but we can also see the opioid and meth crisis. We can see refugees and immigrants who've been overlooked, who've been mistreated. We can see false religion. We can see it all, the good and the bad. And in all of it, we can and we must hope. Because the gospel, friends, is the power of life. He speaks life in dead places. He takes men like Paul, who breathe murderous threats and turns them into church planners. It is my heartfelt prayer for our town, for Burke County, for you, That the gospel would not just be known intellectually, but it would be something that you actually experience personally. My prayer is that the truth of the gospel would burn in your heart so that the gospel will be received and all of its personal implications would be realized in your life. Over the last several weeks, Hannah and I have been going for walks in our, neighbor, in, in our neighborhood, and, and we kind of got tired of that. And so we said, why don't we just drive around and go to different neighborhoods? So maybe you've seen us walking on your street and thinking we're crazy. We're just bored, okay? We got a, we got a seven-month-old. We got to pacify before bedtime. As we've walked around, right, we've gotten to see more of our town. 
And we always, we go over all the ways that we just, we comment on the beauty of this area from the trees and the flowers to the beautiful old homes. And as we walked, a prayer has been rising in my heart that in these neighborhoods, these places and spaces, the gospel would be made known. If you've ever seen our logo, you've got this beautiful sign up here that Alex Bustle made for us. You may or may not have noticed uh, it's a nod to Table Rock. It's supposed to be uh, Table Rock with the presence of God emanating over that mountain. When Hannah and I were sent from Karis Church, which was our sending church in Missouri, they held a sending Sunday to pray for and commission us and slowly torture us as we realized we were leaving our friends and wept like babies. My pastor... My pastor, Kevin Larson, (laughs) he challenged me. He challenged me to make the gospel the rock, to make the gospel the foundation that Coram Deo would be built on. His prayer was that as I drive around and walk around and see Table Rock looming over this place, that I would see that rock and remember the gospel, to remember the foundation of Coram Deo, the foundation of our lives. Coram Deo, my prayer is now that you too, when you see Table Rock, would be reminded to build your hope, your life on the gospel. Whatever it is you're holding on to, whatever fear, worry, resentment, anger, frustration, concern, friends, don't build your life on sinking sand. Build it on the sure and steadfast rock of the hope of Jesus Christ. I love my town. I want gospel hope for Burke County. I want gospel hope, friends, for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge you are so good to us. You love us relentlessly, persistently, even while Paul breathed murderous threats against you. You knew his future was secure. And God, right now, as we are just shrouded in so much animosity in our country, as there is resentment and frustration, fighting, and and so much heaviness, what we see, Lord, is we need hope. We need the gospel. God, we see that our past settled, our present secured, and our future certain. Would we cling to you and look away from these dead, worthless idols to the one who has risen again and offers life and hope? It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.